Today's episode of What Happened When is brought to you by our friends at SaveK.com. Well, Tony, who am I kidding around with? SaveK.com is us. We can help you get rid of all your credit card debt, even skip your next two house payments. We can save you five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. It's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. And I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, or if you've got credit card debt, what are you waiting for? Go to SaveK.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Isn't that right, Tony? And you can own a home with no money down. Own a home, not rent. Own a home with no money down at SaveK.com, Conrad. Make it happen right now at SaveK.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveK.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. Tony and Friends what they win, look Shivani's back again. World title split off, center stage, Bischoff, Disney, Hogan, and Nitro, New World Order, and the Crow. Thunder Russo, Arquette Champ, Vinny Mac, simulcast. Tony's back with Conrad, not your classy podcast. Watch along, try not to laugh, Lois rules, cat back. This wasn't the initial plan, Tom Zing's a good looking man. Quadrack Bill, make a chair. Tommy, you come over here. What happened when? WHW Monday. And now, let's go to the ring. And here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And you're listening to a very special edition of What Happened When? With Tony Schiavone, where we sit down and celebrate... The life and times of mean Gene Okerlund. We're calling an audible this week, Tony. This wasn't the original plan, but things changed. And I didn't think we could, uh, let this Monday go by without celebrating one of the best that ever did it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And I, uh, Conrad, good to be talking to you. Good to be talking to everybody again this week. Uh, I, I think celebration is the right term because I, I've said it before. People say, who's the greatest announcer in professional wrestling? And when we think of play-by-play, we think of JR. But but I really think that overall, if you consider who is the greatest wrestling announcer of all time, I think it's Gene Okerlund. I, and I've, I've said that many times on this, uh, on this podcast because he was a gimmick in himself. And he knew he had a great sense of timing. He had wonderful humor. Uh, and he made everything seem exciting. Gene could make it funny. And then when it was serious, when we really needed to promote something, Gene Oakland knew how to promote it. So you called me or you sent me a text on, uh, on the 2nd of January, as I'm driving back from new Orleans and it just absolutely floored me. I heard he had been a, a little ill, but, uh, and I know he had some kidney problems and it just floored me and uh, the outpouring of respect and admiration on social media, uh, there was no question that everybody loved him. Everybody says part of my childhood, damn right. Part of my growing up, part of my love of wrestling 
First time I saw Gene Okerlund was the very first Saturday night's main event when he was interviewing uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, we are on the verge of an international incident. And I thought that was so over the top and so great that I just fell in love with him from then. What a tremendous line. And, you know, he had sort of the opposite career that you had where he started in radio and then sort of accidentally got into the wrestling business. You started in baseball and accidentally got in the wrestling business. But then once you were done with wrestling, then you got into radio. Right. Did you ever have any sort of conversations with Gene about his wrestling fandom as a kid? Because I know that, you know, you grew up on Jim Crockett promotions and he grew up, you know, mid Atlantic area and, and he grew up on the AWA. Right. And then of course, you know, went to college and became a broadcaster. And obviously that's a passion of yours as well. You guys have any discussions about you guys as Utes, as they would say? Well, he was, uh, I, I guess he started the AWA in the, in the seventies, early seventies. He's from South Dakota and I knew he went to Nebraska. I knew he was a radio guy, but he and I really mostly talked about, you know, he loved rock and roll music and he loved, uh, you know, I, I've never talked about this with you, but before I started baseball, I did some disc jockeying work. So I really cut my teeth in radio and we talked about rock and roll music back in the sixties, man, he could sing. And we just had a lot of great conversations, but we never really talked about pro wrestling, his love of it before he got into it. We talked a lot about the AWA in the seventies and the eighties, uh, prior to him coming to the WWF, but, uh, he never really talked that much about his love of, of pro wrestling, but he knew all about it. I mean, he obviously, you know, if you were a wrestling fan back in the sixties and the seventies, you knew all about the AWA, you knew all about the NWA and the world heavyweight champion. But he had a, a, also a, a love of music as well. You know, one of the things I didn't know uh, until, unfortunately, Gene passed away was that Gene was a bit of a crooner. Um, that sort of took me by surprise. I don't know why it did, but I found out in my research for Bruce's show, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, that um, he actually sang the national anthem for the very first WrestleMania. Uh-huh. And Bruce was not surprised by that, but... I was, and then I found out that not only did he do that, the dude released an album like way back in the day I, th- that floored me. I mean, I knew that mean Gene, um, was, was an iconic stick man, as you would say, and had probably a tremendous broadcast career just based on his voice and delivery, but I didn't think of him sort of in that same vein as like a Jimmy Hart, but he had an album. He had an album and, uh, he was, uh, he was, look, he had a great voice. Well, we, uh, I don't think there's any question that, uh, we knew that he had a great voice. And a lot of times I, I bring up this story all the time and, uh, it's, it's kind of a fun story. Uh, we were, we had a, and I believe it's, I don't think it was between a pay-per-view and a nitro. I think it was between a nitro and a thunder. We had a nitro in Sacramento, California, and we had a, thunder in Reno, Nevada. So Jimmy Hart and I were traveling together at that time. So we were traveling from Sacramento to Reno and driving a car and I was driving Gene Okerlund decided he would jump in with us. So we drove and the quickest way 
the straightest way and the way that Tony Schiavone would take because it's something interesting. We went through Donner's Pass, which is a high elevation and always a lot of snow. Jimmy Hart was really big into the uh, boy bands at that time, so we're talking about late 90s. So he had a CD of NSYNC. Oh, my. Yeah. So he wanted, he said, let's listen to NSYNC. And I said, sure, because uh, Laurie Beth, my daughter, loved NSYNC. And Gene, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't give a, uh, one way or the other a, uh, an opinion. So we put that CD in, and we're going over Donner's Pass, and I'm telling you, the snow is coming down. And I'm, like, driving, and Jimmy's singing, and I'm singing, and Okerlund's in the back seat, and Okerlund gets into it as well because we play it over and over and over again. So that's one of my fondest memories of Gene singing. Also, I don't know if you re- recall that uh, uh, on that wrestling album, remember the WWE wrestling album in, in, uh, in 85? Didn't he sing Tutti Frutti? which is pretty fun. I mean, uh, it's something that was before my time. So I guess I just never really did any research on it. You know, you you sort of, whether you mean to or not, you wind up putting people in boxes and I had Gene in a box that did not include music. And, uh, that just took me by surprise. Let's talk about, um, you know, mean Gene and, and when you first have an opportunity to work with him, you know, you don't see any of the AWA stuff. You see him at Saturday night's main event. And then you actually make a trip from WCW up to the WWF and you're there for a year. We've touched on it a little bit before. What was your interaction like with Mean Gene when you went north? I uh I got to my first introduction with Gene 
was very brief, and this was even before I started in the WWF. It was 1988. We were up uh, in up. We were up in New York City. Uh, we had, and and I don't know how we ended up at the Hemsley Palace, but uh, we, I we were in. We were working in in Canada, and we flew from Canada, and this is how much we were pissing away money at Jim Crockett Promotions. But we flew to New York City to uh, spend the night. We were at the bar at the Hemsley Palace. Gene Okerlund walks in. Now, I don't know. I'm thinking it's a coincidence. I know New York City, it's big. And I'm thinking it's a coincidence. Dusty, this is how the paranoia was in our business back then. Dusty thought that Gene had come to the Hemsley Palace. Luger was with us, too. Had come to the Hemsley Palace to, uh, to try to get Luger to come to the WWF. I remember Dusty saying, you know why Oakland's here, don't you? Because Vince sent him here to try to pry Luger away from us. And I'm saying, God, we're either really drunk or really paranoid or both. Uh, that's the first time I met him. So now uh, let's kind of go forward, move forward. Fast, fast forward to my first year in the W or my only year in the WWF. I, um, first TV tapings was before we did uh, raw uh, before they did raw before they did all the live shows. Uh, and we did TV tapings. We would do superstars one day and challenge the next. And we do go out and every three weeks or four weeks or so and do a month's worth. We were in Binghamton, New York to do superstars. And we were in, Hershey, Pennsylvania to do challenge the night in Binghamton, New York. First TV tape for me. Vince comes to me and says, we have one announcer with a mustache is Gene Oakland. That's the one announcer I want. If it's okay with you. And that's the way he approached it with me. If it's okay with you, I want you to shave your mustache. And I said, you know, sure. I don't care. You know, Shivani did it. Right. Right. Yeah. So I shave, shave my mustache, shave my mustache that night. And then uh, uh, this is after meeting Oakland, of course, at the Hemsley palace, just shaking his hand. Then Oakland comes around the corner, maybe an hour later, two hours later. And he said, Hey, you're the young gimmick who wants to steal my gimmick. And I said, I want to steal your gimmick. He said, yeah, you do. My gimmick's the mustache and you want to take my gimmick. I said, no, you're the gimmick. So we went gimmick back and forth. So from that day on, every time we talked to each other, even the WCW years, we called each other gimmick. That was our, our name for each other. And I would call him, I would go gimmick and he would go gimmick. And that's where, that's how we talked to each other. The last time I saw him, he called me gimmick as well. We were in Providence, Rhode Island. This was four years ago at the airport. Uh, I saw him standing there and I went up to him behind He was looking at his ticket. I went up to him and I said, excuse me, sir, does this flight leave at 10 AM or 11 AM? And he pulls out his specs, his glasses, the same type of gimmick glasses he used to pull out when he was, you know, they would bring a contract in the ring sometime and he would pull out those glasses and read the contract. And he said, let me check. And I kind of nudged him. I said, you fucking gimmick. And he turned around, we laughed and hugged each other. We talked a little bit. And the last thing I said to him, I said, you look great. And he said, yeah, not bad for a 72 year old guy. And I said, you don't look a day over 71. And as I'm walking away, he says, blow it out your ass gimmick. And that was the last thing he said to me. And the last time I talked to him. So, uh, we called each other gimmick. 
Uh, and he was a gimmick because he was the greatest gimmick of all. He did watch wrestling back in the sixties and he did know wrestling, but he wasn't a passionate fan like we were. Uh, and I, and I even think as the story goes, he told Vern Gagne, you know, I don't know as much about wrestling as maybe some other announcers would, but I'll give it my best shot, but he wasn't a passionate fan of it. Uh, and of course, uh, I don't know, maybe that helped him out throughout his career because he became to me as important or many times more important than the people he was interviewing. And it wasn't the really, really, he was overshadowing people. Conrad, he was, he was so good at what he was doing that he would enhance the, the talent and still put himself over. You know, Eric jumped on me one time when I said about an announcer being over, he said, announcers don't get over. Yeah. I remember he's, and I was thinking fucking Gene Okerlund's over. I remember thinking that and I didn't argue with Eric about it, but, uh, the motherfucker was over, buddy. No doubt about it. You know, he was probably, um, most recognizable as a, a member of the WWF. I know that, right. You know, he really cut his teeth and came to fame in the AWA, but I grew up on him in the WWF and you were there, you know, that whole year that you had, and he talked about shaving the mustache. Yeah. But you posted something on Patreon earlier this week where, uh, there was uh, a couple of pictures of you, Gene and the Bushwhackers. Tell us about your experience with, uh, working with Gene and the WWF. Any other fun stories you can share? I had, uh, I had a chance to one great thing about working with Collis with the WWF and Coliseum video was that you basically could do anything you want. You could really let, and this is what I loved about it. Even, uh, even though Bruce Pritchard was my boss, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but you could let your creative juices really flow. And if you had an idea to go out and shoot something and we were already out, let's say for TV taping, uh, you could go out and, uh, take an ENG crew and come up with something. Uh, and, uh, a friend of mine who I consider still a friend of mine, Kevin Granith, who was a producer there. And I used to go out early in the day at door we were at superstars and we were challenged and we used to shoot, you know, you remember a lot of times they would say when they was, uh, WWF superstars comes to you from Fresno, California yeah. and they would take shots of the city. Well, I would go out with Kevin Granith and the ENG crew and we would shoot that stuff. And I would also come up with some ideas of things to do. I had a couple of ideas. I had an idea. I said, let's, and this is where Coliseum video let's shoot. And somebody told me it was still on the network. I haven't been able to find it. It was said they was in the vault and, uh, but I went out and I had this idea where we would go. We were in Tucson, Arizona. We found this shack and we found this old grill. And I had this idea where we would send Gene out in his coat and his tie and he would come up on the bushwhackers at their hut. And I got the, I got an old roast chicken from a, from a grocery store. We put it on the fire and they invited him to eat some of the bushwhacker buzzard. And as he ate the buzzard, he turned into a bushwhacker, you know, with the arms pumping up and down and whoa, (laughs) (laughs) right. and, and he was a professional, it was burning hot that day, as you can imagine, and the smoke and everything. And he was a professional and we did that. And I thought it was very entertaining. It's on a video somewhere. Uh, you know, you go back and you look at the old Coliseum videos, uh, from years gone by and you know that, uh, they, they, they use Gene a lot. I had another idea where we would take, uh, but it never came to fruition. This house, this is how crazy this idea was. I thought, you know, we got, uh, we got Jimmy Snooker. 
let's have Jimmy Snuka uh, go somewhere where he would dive into, he would do some diving, like a cliff diving in Acapulco. And then we'll have a guy with a bald cap uh, dressed up as Gene in his coat jump into the water as well. Well, it never came about, and thank God it didn't, because Snooka didn't want to do it, and it probably would have, you know. I mean, I have even went to, down to San Diego. We were down there and scouted some places. Uh, we, we never did do that. But, you know, Coliseum Video would uh, uh, many times, uh, Coliseum Video would come up with some things for him to do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, back in, I believe it's 87. Well, no, we wouldn't have been. Yeah, maybe he's 87, 86. Uh, they opened up a video where he and Heenan got lost. Uh, and uh, they were going to uh, try to find the offices of Coliseum Video. It just shows you how great he could ad-lib and how great he played off Bobby Heenan. I need that rearview mirror. Bobby Heenan, we're looking for the offices of Coliseum Home Video. I'm looking forward to seeing my very dear, close, personal friends, Arthur Morwitz and Howard Farber. This <laughs> yeah. is a shortcut. Yeah, but I don't know. Is it Sea Caucus or Sacramento? What are we looking for? Get that map out. Okay. That doesn't look like a map. It looks like a piece of toilet paper. Not toilet paper? It's a map. What town? Um, let me see here. Hold it. Hold it. Wait a second. Oh, no. What horrible timing. What's the matter? I don't know, it's something with the engine. Are oh we my stopping? goodness. What is this? Oh, we're dead in the water, Heenan. I don't know what, what's you got gonna it happen. Here? I'll get it out now. Can you rev it? I no, nothing's happening. You know, I was I'm not a mechanic and I've never worked under a hood, but I've seen enough mechanics. You know, those aren't the brightest guys in the world. If they can fix the car, I can fix it like that. Follow me. Okay. Alright. I can fix it, I'm telling you. <sighs> I don't know anything about cars. I don't either, but you can't be something to be too bright. Can you open up the hood? Yeah, you got to. You know um, something about You're an instant expert. Oh, great. The hood ornament. It's not going to do us any well, good. Well, you're going to have to crawl under. What do you mean I'm going to have to crawl under? Well, there's got to be I've something. I've got a bad back. <laughs> I can't crawl under here. It's hot, perhaps. Something, something bit me. Something's biting me. There we go. Ah. What does this mean? Uh, what do you see a problem? Is it the battery? Before you shut up, I'm trying to figure the it out. Fan belt. That's the, the that's the, the the fluid for the windshield washer. That's not that's not a problem. Well, Bobby Heenan, while you tinker around with the I motor on this car, let's get up to the ring for some exciting Coliseum video action here in the World Wrestling Federation. Tires are good. Yeah, tires tires make a big difference. So that's uh, that's Heenan and Okerlund. At their very best. Uh, they, they were just, they, they played off each other very, very well. And so when I did Coliseum videos, I had a chance to work with Gene. He would do anything at all for you. Uh, and it was, uh, hell, he just like, like we called each other. He was a fucking gimmick. <laughs> uh, and, uh, some of the, some of the best work, I really think some of the best work that he did, uh, was back when, uh, maybe the fans didn't see it unless they watched a Coliseum video. Uh, so, uh, as a matter of fact, I'd like to play one more, one more thing for you here. Uh, and this is, uh, this is Okerlund and Lord Alfred Hayes. They had a video called wrestling's greatest bloopers and they did a couple of bloopers and Lord Alfred Hayes and Gene Okerlund 
uh, did a couple of takes on this, and you can see how they just started laughing at each other because Alfred had one of the greatest laughs, very contagious laugh, and he got Oakland laughing. Oakland has, uh, and you'll be able to you'd be able to see it if you uh, go to the WWE Network. Uh, Alfred has a cricket bat in his hand. Oakland has a plunger for a commode in his. He is a classic. I think that's what you'd call Brutus Beefcake. Right, Lord Alfred Hayes? If you say so, Gene. Sterling Certainly. performance. Absolutely. Stiff upper lip. Yes. What do you have there in your hand? This is a cricket bat, Gene. I you... form in a cricket team. <laughs> I've already asked Vince McMahon. He'll play. Yes, maybe we can get uh, Vinny and maybe some of the some of the other boys. Come on, sir. I like to I like to bring in a ringer from maybe Brazil or Portugal or someplace like that. Uh, that just exactly. Now you use a ball to play cricket. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very informative we are. Here. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's bring you up to date on the travels of the World Wrestling Federation as we tour the country. <laughs> All right, a sterling performance, I'd have to say, on the part of Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Lord Alfred Hayes, my very dear, close, personal, longtime friend, part of our broadcast team here on the World Wrestling. What is that you have in your hands? It's a cricket bat. A cricket bat. You play a lot of cricket? Uh, no, I'm trying to get a team together. What is that you have in your hand? Well... You and I obviously have different ideas on uh, the definition of a good time. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can see that. Hey, control yeah, yourself, sorry. man. I'm awfully sorry. Please, this is no place you to play break your out. game with the ball. Uh, well, there is a, the ball. There's a ball in the back of the tank there, in a the tank. That's oh, where I I, that's kind of a ball. So you don't actually sort of. You see, watch the backswing. <laughs> yeah. Alfred, always nice you could drop in. I can't think of too many more exciting moments we've had here in the Sports Control Center. But as I say, can I put oh, your name down for the team? Well, of course you can. Who are we going to have for that. cheerleaders? Uh, we'll have Jane, I suppose. Yes. How about a couple of the Federettes? Mm, okay. Okay, very good. Right now, let's bring you up to date on the travels of the World Wrestling Federation. Contracts. <laughs> <laughs> Great sense of humor, you know, Conrad? I mean, oh. he really did. He was, he, was really a, and he was a really a funny guy with a sense of, a great sense of timing in, in life. And, uh, and that's... Uh, that's one of the great things about him. I, uh, I really, uh, you know, I, re I really loved working with him. Gene was great. Just off the top of the head, you know, the, oh. the, he didn't require all the scripting. Uh, he was, you know, we like to say the, the phrase freestyling Gene could freestyle as good as anybody. Oh, sure. Absolutely. He could freestyle as any, and his freestyling is what endeared him to wrestlers, right? You know, we think of wrestlers as maybe these massive egos and they want the camera all to themselves. And that was not the case. I think, uh, I was not, I was not good at this. Like Gene was, I don't, I don't, no one was, but, but he could play off wrestlers and he could really make wrestlers, uh, even better than they were. Um, so, uh, yeah, he was, he was great with that. Uh, and if you'll indulge me here, remember the years of Piper's pit. Oh yeah. All right. Well, some of the greatest, some of the greatest promos are promos that you never saw because they were maybe, uh, maybe local for Boston right. or local for New York or something like that. And Oakland did those. And those were, those were hard work back then because you would stand up and do endless promos day after or uh, city after city, city after city. So here's one with uh, Roddy Piper. Uh, and this is right in the midst of the height of Piper's pit. 
And, you know, people say, and maybe uh, incorrectly, Conrad, that you and I do a lot of dick jokes. I don't know where they get that idea. I don't either. I don't either. Well, listen closely to this one because this one with Oakland and Piper morphs into a dick joke. All right, fans, my guest at this time is the very controversial host of Piper's Pit. He is from Glasgow, Scotland. His name, Howard, just a second. How could you hand me that chair? Roddy Piper, I kind of yeah. appreciate the way that uh, that you do business on Piper's Pit. Well, and I thought... Uh, well, let me grab a chair of my own here. Well, sure, we'll sit down. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Hey, don't kill a good thing here, Howard. Well, yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd come around, say hi, and see if you had anything on your mind for a change. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I do. But you know what I'm going to do? Right. I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm not going to insult you. Who's this? Junkyard dog. Drap. <laughs> You're not going to insult me. Okay, then you know, that nice Roddy, oh, I'd yes. like to have you tell me about Glasgow. I, I, I hear so many good things about Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, okay, I'll tell you about Glasgow. They have filthy rivers. They have nasty, nasty countryside. They have horrible, horrible people. That's why I left. <laughs> now tell me, tell me about Poland. <laughs> well, what, what would you like to know about Poland? Uh, why did you leave? Well, I... Uh, uh, let's forget that, forget that. I'm going to ask okay. you, this, this is not Piper's Pit. No, no I'm the I'm jeans. the host of this. You know, one, one thing, though, that I, I would like to discuss with you is maybe a sore subject. Is a gentleman by the name of... I've been, I know Hot Rod's been tired lately. Go ahead, though. I don't Mr. mind. Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Uh, Wonderful, yeah. Paul Orndorff. Oh, Mr. Wonderful. Now, all of a sudden, oh. now I get a rise out of you. Oh. After we talked about oh, your house, no, now I get a rise hard. out of you. It's hard to get a rise from me. Mr. Wonderful. I've heard. <gasps> Mr. Wonderful, you heard it. He's wonderful. Uh, you've been talking to the apes and the giraffes and chimpanzees again, haven't you? Mr. Wonderful, I think to myself, sometimes late at night, I'll lay back in my bed. I'll close my eyes. He won't even cross my mind. <laughs> Not a damn thing about him. The other day, though, I was in a store. People were talking. Never mentioned his name. Are you starting to lose your hair? Am I what? <laughs> well, I see you've got a little, little, little receding hairline. Uh, you'd be an expert at it, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you would know if someone was starting to lose their hair, wouldn't you? Tell me something. Did you start to lose your hair on the top of your head all over? I uh, guess, well, I, uh, not, not actually <laughs> no, all over. Not all, not actually all over? No, no that just on the top of my head. Just on the top of your head. That just comes with time. Now, Orndorff, he's got lots of hair. If you're looking at him from the north end going south, he's got plenty of hair. Nice hair down his back. Excuse me, pal. Hi. She's all over. She's history. Stick a fork in me right now because we're done. Mean Gene Okerlund. And and Roddy Piper, <laughs> see how Oakland just he 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 enhanced it, he enhanced it. He didn't take over the interview, but he was a big part of it. You know, one of the things that um, was really parallel between you two because you know you really had different roles in wrestling in that you did a lot of commentary. It wasn't really Gene's bag. He tried it briefly with the WWF and then uh, found different duties once they realized that's uh, probably not a strong suit. Right. But back in the good old days of Jim Crockett promotions, you were really the guy who was holding the microphone for some of the more iconic promos. And that's exactly what Gene did. And a big part of the business back then, of course, was the house show business. And you would 
do the, the localized promos, like you were mentioning, where you would say this Saturday night in a steel cage in yep. Roanoke, Virginia, whatever. Right. Um, Gene's doing that up North. You're doing that down South. When you go to work for the WWF, did you see him do a bunch of those standups or event center type, um, promos and, and what was that like? Oh yeah. I watched him do those because, uh, we would, uh, and, and this is, this is back basic. I, I went in there when, when basically Sean Mooney was doing the event center. So they had kind of changed things over, but I did see Gene do a lot of stand-up interviews in the studio with guys. And I remember thinking I can't, and I even knew this before I got there, Conrad, I it, just trying to compare my mic work to his fuck, man. I, I have, there was no comparison. He was light years ahead of me, light years ahead of everybody. He let his personality come through. And basically the only thing I used to do was, as you said, Roanoke, Virginia, the steel cage, here's the nature boy, Ric Flair. And that was it. There was no back and forth with me. Like there was with Gene and Piper that we had just heard. And I'm going to, uh, play another one here with, uh, Don Morocco and, and, uh, Ken Patera and Bobby Heenan. There was no back and forth. And, and, it, and, and I wasn't, I was, I guess I was envious. I remember thinking, man, I can't do that shit like he can do. And I'm not going to even try to do it like he can do because he's the only one that can do it. Right. He's the only one that could do it. You know, I've tried this, what they call windsurfing, and I couldn't be more impressed than seeing the magnificent Morocco from Sunset. Oh, Don Morocco. Don, come on in here. I saw you surfing over there in those, those huge breakers in Hawaii, some of the greatest surfing, I guess, in the entire world. That was fantastic, wasn't it? It was. It's so nice to get a chance to chit-chat with you a little bit. What would you like to know about the magnificent one? I mean? I, I'd like to know, is this something, is this a regular part of your training? What, what, what kind of a training, uh, training schedule do you go through? Well, first of all, above all, you have hard, vigorous workouts, you know, in the water, on the sand, up and down the mountains, running and training. But then you got to watch your diet. At a certain time, every day, every three, four hours, you got to eat. As a matter of fact, it's time right now. Would you like a donut? A donut? A donut. This is what happens. This is how you maintain championship balance. Have a donut. You got have a donut. No, no. Donnie, please. I got donuts. I got donuts all the time. I see that. I have the right donuts. So you need donuts. You need donuts. You need donuts to be very strong just like you. And then you all... There, what? Oh, wait. Oh, this is I can't hear a thing. I can't. I can't hear a thing. I'm not I can't hear a thing you're saying. Your mouth is full. Don't eat with your mouth. It's okay. Have a donut anyway. I just, you know, just a little. You have to maintain a Spartan's regimen. You have to have a. Go and take a bite. Thank, thank you, magnificent Morocco. God, I'm glad I asked that question. I'm glad. I'm really glad that I that I asked him. Bobby Heenan, come on in. I don't. Certainly, you don't let your men train like that. Dude, I've got the powdered sugar all over me. <laughs> what? What are you laughing about? You know, seems like everybody's laughing about something these days. Well, the reason I'm laughing and what amuses me is the fact. Hey, what did you just do? I kissed my bicep. <laughs> what did you do? 
You didn't just kiss her. Oh, yes, I certainly did. Oh, come here. Are you envious? Are you jealous? No, but I think that's a Mr. little ridiculous. Hader. I got one guy shoving donuts down his mouth. Tell me, Junior, how donuts what throat. a Spartan regiment we're on. Bobby Heenan. Mr. Patera's in the gym before most of you people get up. And when most of you people go to bed, Stud and Patera are back in the gym. They're athletes. They're always in training. I'm constantly negotiating contracts. I'm constantly using my brains to outsmart all these so-called other brilliant people in professional wrestling. And it doesn't take much effort to do that. John Studd was not slammed by Andre the Giant. Hey, I want to make he didn't that... retire. No, he didn't retire because the man's an, a liar. He should retire. He's not going to get the money. He got a piece of it, but he's not going to get the money. Wait, wait, wait. I'll tell you what he's going to get. What? You know those donuts that Mr. Morocco had out here? Yeah. That's what he's going to get. And not much left of them. There won't be much left of Andre the Giant either. That, that, that is powdered sugar, by the way. Boy, All over. What a slob. I don't think there's, and I'm sure there could have been someone else out there, but I, he was so natural and he was so smooth at it that it was like, hell, he was born to do this shit. Right. He was absolutely born to do it. And I, I was just absolutely amazed watching him do his shit. And, and a lot of the stuff that I watched him do was backstage at uh, superstars and challenge. We had all these different studios. They would go, if we would be at a, uh, if we would be in an arena where they had these different rooms, they would, they would go in with these sonic boards and pad these rooms and they would have English one, English two, international one, international two. I have a pre-tape room. They had like five or six pre-tape rooms where you would go in and that's where Gene would do a lot of his stuff. And it was just, it was just wonderful. But I really think that Gene would really shine when he did stuff that was live. Yeah. Off the top of the head. I mean, right. good, good yeah. stuff. So right. w when you wind up leaving the WWF, of course, Gene is still there. Did you have a conversation about leaving and going back to WCW or does it ever come up or what is that? Yeah. I, I talked to him, uh, a great deal after, especially after, you know, I, I left and, and I had this long, uh, legal pad of pros and cons, why I should stay and why I should leave. And, uh, I left and I, I've told you the story that, you know, I called Vince back almost immediately and never got in touch with Vince. And I got in touch with Emily and I told Emily, I said, tell Vince that I want to, uh, I want to come back. Emily, by the way, is, is Vince's personal assistant at the time, secretary, right. if you will, yeah, Emily Feinberg. Uh, and she was, I, I really liked Emily. She was not only a just absolutely gorgeous, but she was a, she was a pretty cool girl. So I talked to her and then trying to think about how I could, uh, get back. I called Jean and I said, Jean, uh, and we had a nice long conversation. I said, I've made a big mistake. And I said, I don't know if what well, next time you're going to see them or next time you're going to be at a taping or, or what, but, uh, if you don't mind, say something to Vince. Cause I really want to come back. And he said, well, I will, I will do exactly what I want. Uh, I'll do exactly what I can do. Uh, and whatever you want, I'll, I'll help you out. I know that they, when you left here, there was a little void and I, I'm sure they would like a guy with your talents back. And, you know, he went on and on and on and nothing ever came about it, but, uh, we did talk about it and I was really distraught and and of course, well-documented went on from there. Uh, but then he, then he came to WCW. I, I never will forget. I was in my office and I heard that he was, he was coming to board and he walked down the hallway and I, I looked around the corner cause of where my desk was situated 
And here he came walking down the hallway and I jumped up and ran up to him and grabbed him and hugged him. Uh, and I was so excited that he was there because I thought now it made, and it did. I thought now it made us seem big time because here he is the very best interviewer, the, as I say, the very best stick man ever in the wrestling business. There'll never be anybody like him again. Uh, and here he is with WCW. So I really thought it was a step in the right direction for us. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that, you know, the, the wrestling talent was always, I shouldn't say always a lot of times the wrestling talent was superior in WCW. It's all the other stuff that maybe was missing. So when you get a Bobby Heenan and you get a mean Gene Okerlund, all of a sudden it feels very leveled up in a hurry. Oh yeah, it is. It, 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 it elevates us. It makes us seem bigger. It's so, much bigger. It's much bigger of an impact. Gene Oakland coming to us is much bigger than of an impact. I'm going to say this and I'm. No, you're not going to say what I think you're going to say. Are you? Well, I don't know. Okay. I, I just think, I just think that Gene Oakland coming to us was much bigger of an impact than me or Jr. going to them. Oh yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, Jr. moving, going to them, you know, years later was a big deal. But Gene Oakland coming to us was a bigger deal. Without question. As you Thank you say. for saying that. Very good. Let's talk a little bit about when you find out that he's coming because he's so closely associated with the WWF. I mean, he'd been there for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a conversation with him about it? I mean, did that not strike you as a little odd? I mean, here you were four years prior, like, shit, I got to get back. And now right. he's down with you instead. Yep. Did you have a conversation about how that came to be? Well, I I didn't have a conversation about how it came to be. I know his contract had ended, uh, with the WWF, but here's what, here's the conversation we did have. Uh, I was, you know, I was still, I don't know, three, four years from, as you said, removed from coming back. And I told Gene, I said, Gene, I'm going to be very honest with you. This is nothing like what we knew in New York. And that's kind of what we always call the WWF New York. This is nothing like what we knew in New York. It's a different, a different company down here. And you just got to be very, very patient. And you've got to, you've got to forget well, and I know it's impossible, Gene, but you got to forget, uh, how great it was at times. And I said, I don't know anything about your contract or your working conditions there, but I just know how it is here. And it's going to be completely different. And Conrad, it was obviously Heenan knew it, uh, when he came here, but Gene at Gene did not, did not handle it well. And he was, he was very, he was used to working with Kevin Dunn. Right. And he was used to working with, with, even with, 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 with Bruce Pritchard. He was used to working with guys who really knew were really professional. And now he was working for a company that was like, uh, its head was on fire when we did TV. And so he was very, very, uh, he got, he got very grumpy very quickly and he got very, very difficult to deal with very quickly. And he and I had a couple of flare ups because I was trying to be a producer and he was being very difficult. And we would go down to that little bullshit studio we had down the CNN center. And if you compare that little bullshit studio that we had down the CNN center 
to what we had in Stanford, Connecticut, it's like, my God, it's like a bushwhackers shack compared to the Hemsley palace. And he didn't handle it. And he was not easy to work with because it's because of exactly what I told him, Gene, it's not the same. And you got to get that out of your mind. You're really taking a step down in production value and taking a step down in organization and take, just taking, you're taking a step down. Fuck. Uh, and of course, you know, as, as the years went on, we moved out of the CNN center and we moved to our own place. And even though it was kind of a warehouse looking place out in the middle of nowhere, it was pretty nice inside. They spent a lot of money for it, had a lot of big studios, but those early years, it was very, very difficult The gene. And one time it was in a bar and we had all had a lot to drink. And Gene was, and Gene said, I need to talk to you, buddy. He said, you and I don't have any problems. Do you do we? And I said, no, not at all. Why? He said, I, I just get the impression that you're pissed off at me. I said, well, Gene, sometimes you can be difficult to work with here. And I understand why I get it because when I first came here, I was pissed off too. And I missed the WWF and I missed their production and I missed the things that we did. So I get it. So if I react to you and you think I'm pissed off at you, I'm not pissed off at you. I said, you're the greatest man. You're the best ever. I said, I'm pissed off probably along with you about what we have to do here. So at the beginning, it was kind of difficult working with Gene, but again, you know, the more you, like I told you, the more you just hang in there and the more you get into a routine, the more you get over how shitty it was compared to the WWF. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, coming in, he, he comes in November 6, 1993 debuts on an episode of WCW Saturday night. And the rumor and innuendo is that Jesse Ventura is the guy who first talks to him about coming in and allegedly they had the same agent. Would that have been Barry Bloom? Yeah, it would have been Barry Bloom, the same agent. And I don't, yeah, there was no question that, that, uh, that Ventura had, uh, had an impact on Gene coming in, you know, Ventura came, the Ventura came in, uh, during, uh, the Kip Fry era. And I think, I think Gene came in, if I'm right, uh, during the Eric Bischoff's tenure. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, he had a, he had a profound impact in that and him coming in, uh, because, you know, we were, I, again, Heenan, Okerlund, Ventura, those were big time names of the WWF. And if their contract was up, there was no question without question that Ventura was going to try to lead them, you know, to uh, greener pastures or in this case, more money. You know, it's, it wasn't necessarily greener pastures for any of us, but it was more money. Uh, so it was greener on that side. Talk to me a little bit about the rumor and innuendo around Gene's contract, because for years we've heard that he came in for huge money and that he got some sort of an incentive for the hotline. What right. were you hearing at the time? Well, I heard he made, he made, okay. I was making when I first, uh, I'll just throw out numbers here because I don't give a shit if people know or not. When I first came into WCW, I made 160 a year. The second year I made 170 and the third year I made 180 a year. Uh, when Okerlund came in, I had heard that he, he came in for $300,000 a year. 
and then he was going to be up to 350 and then he was going to be up to $400,000. And if you and I don't know if that was true because we didn't tell each other what we made. We just didn't. And but that's what I'd heard. And I had no problem with it again because shit. He's Gene fucking Okerlund. And he deserves whatever he can get. And I never ever was pissed off that people were making more money than me. And then I heard that maybe it was a too much, too much of a contract. And now they were going to offer him money, uh, to try to supplement this contract. They were going to offer him money from the hotline. And if the hotline made a certain number, you would get a certain percentage of it. And that's why they had him do the hotline. And that's why he took his time to promote it. So I don't know if they renegotiated his contract. I don't know if he had a one-year contract. I don't know if he had a two-year contract and then they added the hotline to it. But I just do know that he was making twice as much as me. That's what I had heard. Didn't ask him about it. Uh, but that's that's what I heard about the contracts. You know, we recently covered Starcade 1993 with uh, our great close personal friend here on the show, Mr. Cassio Kid, And one of the more iconic things that Gene ever did, WWF or WCW to me, was the bit he did with Ric Flair at Starcade 93. The level of realism and um authenticity that gene brought to it when he visited rick flair's home and rick was saying goodbye to the family and then the ride over to the arena and i had a conversation recently with cody rhodes about that and he said that was one of his favorite things ever in wrestling and he really liked that those guys just sort of freestyled it you know, there was no, there was no scripting. Nobody handed them a sheet of paper. They had an idea of, you know, the amount of time they had and the story they were trying to tell. Rick, come on. We've got to go. <sighs> Seems to me like there was so much emotion. Oh, they're worried, Gene. Of course they are. Whose family wouldn't be? You're worried. Yeah, I am worried, but I'm worried for different reasons, I think. I knew what I was doing when I signed the contract, Gene. I gotta prove this to no one else but myself tonight. I've got a feeling this could be a rather long ride. Rick, go ahead of there. Well, to think about it all, yes, your career on the line, but Rick, you've seen what this guy Vader has done. Numerous opponents over the years. I mean, he's absolutely decimated. Gene, I knew what Vader was about before I signed the contract. I, uh, you know, I knew the reality of what I was doing, and I'm prepared. Um, you know, when I deal with this on a personal level, it makes it harder. But I've been in a lot of tough matches, and tonight I'm going to prove, above all else, to myself that I'm the man. I think I've been my entire career. I got to prove it tonight. Jeff, let's get to the arena. But what we got was probably one of the more important moments of Gene's career. Wouldn't you agree? I would. I don't think anybody could have pulled it off as, as well as Gene did. But all of a sudden you got flair in his house. Well, we we've covered it here. We covered the, uh, the star K 93 here. You got, you got in his house and all of a sudden Gene, who is this jovial guy who is over the top is now a little bit uh, stepped down in his excitement level. And now it becomes, instead of Mean Gene, 
interviewing Ric Flair, it becomes Mean Gene, the friend of Flair's, talking about his career. It was a very important moment, and it was one of the moments that made that show special. Let's talk a little bit about um, some more memories that you have with him in WCW. Bobby Heenan comes over, I believe, in like January 94. And the show opens with Gene welcoming us to the show. And then he gets in his earpiece and says he's been told something. And then he introduces Bobby the Brain Heenan. And when I think of, you know, the, the glory days of the WWF, the two guys out front, a lot of times were Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan. So here he is. And we've talked a lot about Bobby Heenan. We've got a Bobby Heenan episode in the archives and we've documented, you know, your response to some criticism that Bobby has sort of lobbied your way. But before we address any of that, let's go back to 1994. How excited were those guys to be working together? Well, I think the, the fact that they were working together and I don't want to, uh, uh, cold water on this, but I, I think the fact that they were working together helped ease the pain of, <laughs> of leaving up there. Now, when they first started working together, they were all, they were making pretty good money and they were pretty excited about this new venture. But the fact that they could play off each other the way they did was, 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 was great for us as much as it was great for them. And they were pretty excited about, about being together. I think it helped. I, I think it, well, I know it did. It helped ease the blow of the step down that they were going to take by leaving the WWF. So it was, it was a pretty exciting moment to see them both out there. Let's talk a little bit about the, um, the time that you guys spent together on the road in WCW, because I know that, uh, most of the guys when they're, they're quote unquote, making towns find themselves getting into some shenanigans and Bobby, the brain Heenan was. Uh, known to enjoy a cocktail or two. And of course, Oakland, uh, I think everybody knows, enjoyed a few clear ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I talked to uh, Nate this week, he was, uh, asking me how much I had consumed on my trip abroad. And I said, yeah. I went with some guys who didn't drink, so I didn't have any. And he said, well, if Gene can make it in the seventies with three kidneys, I think you're okay. Well, uh, wait a minute. You, you went on a trip abroad and didn't drink anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are you fucking trying to fool? No, seriously. Uh, you know, I went to Japan. So over there, they don't have Miller light. And, uh, <laughs> well, so they've I, got, they've got like uh Sapporo, don't they? Yeah. But or that's the thing. Like, like I, I went with guys like Mark Nielsen and, yeah. uh, I ran into Dave Meltzer and Jim Valley was over there and Mike yeah. Weber. And of course, Cody and the bucks, none of those guys are like big party guys. So, you know, yeah. I, I had a lot of water and Coca-Cola. But either way, um, Gene was, was a legendary, um, carouser, not in a negative way, but he wanted to, he wanted to go to the bar and he wanted to carry on and he wanted to hold court. And, uh, I saw Gene, uh, flirting with some girls sometime, not in a, in in an inappropriate way, but just in a jovial, lighthearted, whatever cute kind of way. And then he, uh, leaned over and like patted me on the knee and he says, even at my age, Conrad, you've got to stay sharp. Salesman's yep. got to keep those tools sharpened. And I just right. thought it was like the funniest thing ever that here's this elderly man trying to just chat up any 22 year old who, you know, made her way to the bar. Well, you're, you're right on many levels. First of all, Gene 
and I'm talking about the days of, of WCW more than the WWF because WWF, I kind of, I was on the airplane. I was on Vince's airplane out of a TV taping. So I didn't really kind of spend the night that much, but, and then again, I, di- I didn't ride with Gene, but in the WCW days, Gene closed the bar. He was the last one there. And how did I know? Because a lot of times I was there with him, but he was, he, he, did Flair ever tell you his nickname for Gene? Uh, I'm not sure. Doctor. No. Uh-uh. He called him doctor, Dr. Okerlund. Hey, doctor. That's what he called him. And because they would do this routine at the bar where he would see, he would, there would be a girl there and Flair would say, I want you to meet my friend, Dr. Okerlund. And Gene would put those glasses on and he would be in full mean Gene mode. He said, my dear, when's the last time you had a checkup? Well, I'm going to let you know that my office is always open and it, it was, it was playful. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't grab their ass or he didn't grab, you know, he didn't, uh, but he would just say funny shit that would break us up in the bar. And Flair called him doctor all the time because they had this routine where Gene would portray a doctor. And these would obviously be maybe a, a lady or a girl that, you know, was in the bar and was not a wrestling fan or didn't know what was going on. And Gene would play the doctor. And with those glasses, those, as he called them cheaters, which he didn't need glasses, but he had uh, reading specs that would be on the end of his nose. He would take those out of his his breast pocket and he would put them on and he would talk to the girl as he was a doctor. And it was hilarious. It was a great routine between he and flair. And, uh, Gene was just, I, you know, I, I go back to this, which I think is funny. I, I go back to this, uh, Gene Okerlund routine that he did at, uh, at battle bowl. And it was absolutely freaking hilarious. Jesse Ventura and I did the play by play Gene Okerlund and Wendy, as we know her now, or Fifi pulled the names. And every time they would come out of the break, Gene would be talking to her, you know, some silly shit handcuffs one time. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't blow on it. It's just a figure of speech. I mean, really it's pay-per-view, right? So shit, you can get away with it. Sure. Uh, uh, but it was Gene Okerlund being Gene Okerlund, being the real Gene Okerlund that we saw on the bar. He was just, and he would do shit for a fucking laugh and he would break us all up at the bar with his doctor routine. It was tremendous. I mean, that's, that's the gene that most everybody who was in the business remembers, right? The gene at the bar holding court. Absolutely. Last year at WrestleMania, when I made my way to the company hotel, as I come around the corner, there is a huge circle around the bar. I didn't have to guess who was in the center of that circle. Sure. Sure. Because his voice. When Gene Okerlund talked, and, and I, not, not necessarily the Gene Okerlund, because as an announcer, you, you project and then you talk. It's two different things. Not the necessarily Gene Okerlund that projected behind the mic, but the Gene Okerlund that talked. His voice drew attention to himself because he had such a great, clear, ballsy, as we like to call it, voice. And that voice, when he started to talk, immediately, if you were at the bar, you heard him. It kind of cut through everybody else. And not only that, he could also just, he was... I mean, he was a gimmick <laughs> fucking gimmick is what he was. And uh, the, the gimmick in the bar, Dr. Oakland was wonderful. And we can need to talk to flair about that sometime. I guess we'll, uh, next time I see him, we'll talk about Dr. Oakland, but, uh, old doctor, as a matter of fact, I think if you go back and look at some of the in-ring promos, the WCW Monday nitro or even thunder, 
uh, or pay-per-view, you'll hear him call him doctor. Talk to me a little bit about what else Gene did for WCW. I mean, obviously we know that, um, you know, he, he did the uh, mic work and he did the interviews and did he have any sort of backstage role or capacity? Were there any other duties, anything else that WCW asked him to do? Or was it all out in front of the camera? It was all out in front of the camera, uh, with the exception of, uh, doing the, doing the hotline work. Sure. Which would have been, uh, which would have been just, you know, audio only. They also had Gene go out and do some promotions when they would go to a town. Uh, although they, you know, they would like to try to use Hogan or, or, or sting or, or the macho man or, or, you know, if they would go have just a, an opening, a ticket opening or something like that, promoting an event, going to the live town, he would do some things like that. But most of the things he did was, was in front of the camera. And and that's kind of one of the reasons that uh, Gene and I, when he first, when he first came to WCW, why we had kind of a, a little friction between us, because I was a producer uh, and I, I was not upset. I was not upset that only thing Gene, Gene was making a lot more money than me. And, uh, and only Eric knows what it was. I don't know what it was, but I was not upset that Gene was making more money than me. I was upset. The fact that I had these responsibilities of trying to get a show out and trying to get things done. And Gene was at dead times difficult. Gene, only thing Gene had to do is come in and do his on camera work or whatever. And I had to, when he was gone, make sure the show was put together or, or the producers under me had it, had everything in place. Uh, so that's kind of, uh, why we had friction a little bit, but again, the friction didn't last long at all because he was such a charming, engaging, funny man. And you know, not only that, you know, Conrad, he was fucking Gene Okerlund, right? He was fucking Gene Okerlund. And listen, I don't think he, I don't think he walked around showing that off to everybody. Because that's what he was, but my God, it's he, there was there were times. Listen, there were times that when, when I'm a producer and he's doing something on camera for us, I'm thinking this is fucking Gene Okerlund, and I was thinking there are a lot of times that I'm sitting there with Jesse Ventura, thinking this is fucking Jesse Ventura. That's the impact that the WWF had on the wrestling business and the people within the business back in those days in the '80s and the '90s. Let's talk about one of the more iconic moments of Gene's WCW career. We talked about the big moment with, uh, flair, who I think most people associate with, with his WCW run, but he also had some pretty important moments with Hulk Hogan helping the WWF and maybe the biggest moment of Hogan's career, at least in WCW mean Gene's right there. It's the heel turn to bash of the beach, 1996. And Gene is once again, in that familiar position of holding the stick for Hulk Hogan. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. I have been with you for so many years for you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach. And I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man, this man, and you want to put yourself in this group, you've got to be kidding me. Carry me through 
bash at the beach 96 and, and me and Gene being right there in the middle of it all, because you're going to close the show with a pretty iconic line yourself. Yeah. The, the Hulk Hogan, you can go straight to hell line again. I'm not so sure. I, I remember afterwards I, I said, Gene, Gene said, what do you think about that? And I said, I thought it was fucking tremendous. Uh, and I'm not so sure if, if Gene knew, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's in the back. So he knows a lot more than I do. And I still maintain again, that we did not know, uh, Heenan and I out at the broadcast table did not know exactly what was going to happen. We'd heard so many things. Gene obviously knew what was going to happen. And Gene, I, I thought you, you think about, you know, Gene held if I'm right, and, and I know I am, Gene held the microphone when Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik to win the WWF title in the back. Right. Remember the champagne and everything? Absolutely. All right, it's absolute bedlam and pandemonium here back in the locker rooms at Madison Square Garden. Gene Oaken here with the brand new World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. You proved it to thousands and thousands of fans, not only here tonight in Madison Square Garden, but throughout the wrestling world. You know something, Gene? They proved it to themselves. All I asked, just stand behind the holster. And I told them I'd bring it home for the USA. You know something, Gene? It is the dream of a lifetime, Daddy. Oh. And you know something? I can't imagine. This is like going to the mountaintop a thousand times over. I feel the energy. Hulkamania is running worldwide. And it just turns me on me, Gene. And I felt every one of those 25, 30 plus thousand people with me standing behind me all the way. And it felt great. Well, you have arrived, Hulk Hogan. Have you never seen anything as beautiful as this, me, Gene? This belt is part of yours, too. It's everybody out there. Oh, 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 the new heavyweight champion of the world. That's nice of you. I'm really proud of you. And you are a good wrestler and fighter. Oh, the champagne is blowing. Ivan Putsky. Okay, baby. Hey, how proud are you, Jack? Very good, huh? Can you Super Monday at the Garden with the new heavyweight champion, That was the beginning of Hulkamania. And now Gene is holding the microphone at the beginning of the NWO. So you have Hogan and, and Okerlund kind of bookending Hogan's career as a babyface. So he is forever tied with Hulk Hogan, tied into him. Listen, uh, Tony Schiavone holding the microphone, Jim Ross holding the microphone, Mike Today, any uh, Eric Bischoff, it, it just doesn't work. It's got to be Gene Okerlund. And, and I think Gene Okerlund being there made it, a bigger moment than, or, or help make it the big moment that it was. It was a huge moment. And, uh, I don't know that it would have been the same without me, Gene there. It's a little thing, but you know, it, it really does hit you in the feels when you see these two, this familiar scene of me and Gene and Hulk Hogan, the perennial baby face. And now he's turning his back on the fans. Uh, Gene's off TV for a little while, uh, towards the end of 1996. And Meltzer would report that Oakland's contract with WCW had expired and he's no longer going to be with the company. So he says goodbye to a lot of the people, right. um, on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, everybody gets a memo saying that he's, he's done. Right. But of course, somewhere he winds up coming back and allegedly comes back with a big raise, but 
according to the rumor and innuendo, he at least had a conversation with Vince McMahon about coming back. Right. In late 96, did you think Gene was going back? Yep. I sure did. And because again, he was not happy. It was not the working conditions weren't what they, it, I, I go back to this Conrad. I, and and I, I really believe this, and this is something that JJ Dillon told me years ago. And he said in professional wrestling, he said, actually in any walk of life, you cannot put a price on happiness. We all try to make as much money as we can and wrestling afforded us back in the nineties, making great livings. I won't deny that, but what's the price you would put on being happy in your job. And there's no, there's no price. And that's what Oakland was going through at that time. And the, and that was this money is great, but am I happy? And if you saved your money and like, I, I don't know if Oakland did or not, then you can just walk away from an unhappy, uh, and say, you know what? I'll do it for less money. But uh, he was obviously not happy because of our working conditions. That's not, it's not a fault of any one person. It's just the machine that we were, right? It was not the same. It wasn't the same. And Oakland felt it. Uh, I felt it first of, of guys who came here. Oakland felt it. Heenan felt it. Jesse felt it. All of us. Um, and, um, it was just not the same. So he was unhappy. And so that's why they parted ways. Uh, and then of course he came back for more money. And again, I guess for Oakland, you know, maybe there was a price on, on being unhappy, but, and it was for me. I mean, I, I sucked it up, but, um, uh, it was unhappy working conditions and it was unhappy working conditions. All of us. Only because not because of any one person, only because it was different and you just had to, you had to ignore it. And it was hard for Gene to ignore it at times. Allegedly when he comes back, he's coming back on a contract that only has him working like five days a month, which would be four nitros and a pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, and that return happens sometime in November. So he's out for maybe a week or two in September, all of October, uh, but he's back. And we see him on TV, I believe on November 11th on that nitro, uh, chat me up behind the scenes. You know, you're talking about how unhappy he is with, you know, the conditions, uh, talking about work and studio and things like that organization things. Yeah. Who did Gene sort of hang out with in WCW Bobby Heenan and who else? Well, I always thought he kind of hung out with flair. Sure. Uh, in WCW. So, uh, backstage when he came back. I remember when he came back, it, he was happy, but he also seemed to me to be a little numb to all of this. Like I'm back, I'm happy to be back, but I'm just going to, again, just kind of just let things fall where they may. But yeah, he hung out with flair a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a, there, uh, again, there was, there was a time where announcers traveled together and it would be me driving with Oakland and Heenan and Dusty or me driving with Oakland, Heenan, Lee Marshall and Mike Tanay. Uh, and he traveled with us a lot. And, you know, everybody, when we traveled, everybody drank except me because I'm driving. Uh, and we had some great conversations and Gene had a, Gene had, uh, much like, uh, something that I played earlier. G 
Gene, and, and you heard it with Lord Alfred Hayes, Gene had a very contagious laugh. Right. And when he started laughing about something, it got everybody to laugh about something. So we had some, some pretty funny conversations. But really, in the back, uh, I really think that the, the guy he hung out with the most was Flair. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there you, know, you can go back and listen to the old Woo Nation episodes, and, and we may find a way to link those uh, on our YouTube or maybe find some links um, that we can post on Twitter. Because Gene was actually on Woo Nation and the Ric Flair show, uh, yeah. so two separate appearances um, where we got to catch up with Gene, and they're just natural camaraderie and chemistry. Those guys have uh, they've had some fun times together for sure. Yes, they had some fun times together. And also, Conrad, uh, there's uh, when Gene passed away, uh, and we had a lot of response uh, from our listeners, uh, not only on Twitter, on social media, but on especially uh, our, our friends on Patreon, who said they remember the Gene Okerlund Ric Flair interview, which is a very famous interview at the end of Royal Rumble of 1992, uh, when Flair won the Royal Rumble and uh, won the WWF championship. Gene does something that, in this interview, that just just absolutely cracked me up. All right, by virtue of winning the Royal Rumble, we have a brand-new World Wrestling Federation champion as the press watches on. At this time, to present the title belt to the new champion, our president, the distinguished Jack Tunney. Congratulations, Ric Flair, on becoming the undisputed champion of the World Wrestling Federation. Let me just say, after view distorting the belt to proclaim me the real world champion, I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. And this is the only title in the wrestling world that makes you number one when you are the king of the WWF. You rule the world. Think about it like that, Mr. Perfect. Guys, we're not playing the wagon. Woo! Woo! Let's give a big one. Woo! I was never so impressed with anything I've ever seen in all my life. He went out there for over 60 minutes, never took a back step, took it to Hogan, took it to The Undertaker, took it to whoever got in that ring. That's why he is, hey, Bobby called now, the real world's heavyweight champion. We're not the kind of guys to say, we told you so, but we told you so. <laughs> okay, very good. Rick Flair, you have made world, put that cigarette out. You have made World Wrestling Federation history here tonight. It's the greatest moment of my life. I want to jump. I want to party. But I got to tell you like this. For the Hulk Hogan's and the Macho Man's and the Pipers and the Sids. Now it's Ric Flair. And y'all pay homage to the man. Woo! <laughs> I love it! Alright, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up. We hope you have enjoyed your Royal Rumble. For my broadcast colleagues, Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Sean Mooney, Mean Gene Okerlund, saying so long from the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. Royal Rumble 92, one of the more iconic moments right. of uh, Ric Flair's career. I mean, the, the, the 
the forever NWA world champion has finally come north and done the unthinkable and he's with the WWF, but now he's the champion in, in a place where a lot of people thought that could never happen. It's the land of the giants. It's Hulk Hogan. It's New York. And it finally happens. And in the middle of this heartfelt promo, put that cigarette out, <laughs> which Bruce Pritchard sort of freestyled was probably something he was saying to Pat Patterson. Well, let's switch gears here. Uh, let's talk about WCW a little more during the, uh, this is a crazy time in wrestling. And I admit I wasn't watching as much as maybe I should have been, but during the millionaires club versus new blood feud, that angle that you guys did, I think in 2000, uh, main gene joins the millionaires club and feuds with Pamela Paul shock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some interesting ones there. Um, yeah. August 9th, 2000 on thunder gene has his first wrestling match in 16 years. He's going to team up with buff Bagwell. That's right. Shave uh. Bagwell, uh, to defeat Canyon and Mark Madden, uh. Mark Madden on one side, <laughs> Gene Okerlund on the other. Yeah. Who booked this shit? <laughs> you didn't like it. Oh yeah. Tell me about this five-star classic. You remember? <laughs> look, it's look. All right. If you're going to look at the match and you're going to take the match and lift it out and say, was this a great wrestling oh, match? No, of course not. I'm just busting balls, but how did, how did Gene feel about getting in the ring? This has got to be something Gene's like, what you want me to do? What I'm not doing that. Right. Yeah, of course. But Gene, but Gene's a pro Gene do it. He's a pro and it was, it was fucking horrible, but the buildup was fucking hilarious to it. Sure. And that's what it was about. Right. Entertainment. And if you say who booked this shit, who do you think booked this shit? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to guess it was probably Vince Russo. Well, there you go. Okay. And they, but that, that was all Vince Russo. And that's the, the kind of things that Vince did. And, uh, I, I had no problem with it at all. I thought it was, you know, it, it wasn't anything like, uh, Gene and Hulk Hogan and, and the bill up that they had, you know, when, uh, the very, uh, when they were in Minneapolis and they had the, the training video of Hogan and, and Gene, it wasn't anything like that at all. Uh, it was more, even more campy than that. Uh, it was shit, probably more campy than just about anything else, but he, uh, he pulled it off as Gene Oakland pulled off everything. He pulled off something because mean Gene is, uh, going to be on the receiving end of a low blow from Mark Madden. Yeah. And Gene then pulls out his cup, rubs it in Madden's face and Bagwell gives him a blockbuster. And that's the end. How about that? Um, a week later, they have Gene's first ever singles match. Hmm. Or he defeated Mark Madden in a street fight. Obviously he was not happy about any of this, right? But he's with WCW until the end. Uh, uh -huh. and I think a lot of us have blocked out these more painful memories. Yeah. Uh, not the best time of oh. WCW, but right around the time that WCW goes down, uh, Gene signs a new three-year deal with Turner sports. So he wound up. Uh, being taken care of there, but then does get to return to the WWF to do commentary, uh, just a couple of months later, or uh, maybe the next month, actually uh, shit, uh, a week later at, at WrestleMania, right? WrestleMania, WrestleMania 17. That's right. Yeah. Him and Bobby Heenan are back at the table and lamp chop or Jerry Lewis. the mayor of Houston. Well, we're in Houston, so this is a homecoming of sorts for Brother Love in the gigantic gimmick battle royal. And 
WrestleMania. Bobby, you can just feel it, can't you? The excitement in the air. It's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Keep your knife to yourself. Did I say that? Say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. I'm the host. And Sword Church Miller! Sergeant Slaughter. This guy, a mainstay in the World Wrestling Federation for a number of years, coming here for the gimmick battle royal. Here you see him in action. That was then, now he shoots blanks. What a good looking man. And a nice looking statue. Yes, and a very proud American. It's like our waitress last night. You know, there were a lot of feuds of the past between these men. Think of about 10 years ago, between the Iron Sheep and Sergeant Slaughter. It was wartime. Here we go. Hey, sound of the bell. And we're off and running with a gimmick. Battle Royale. But he just pops up sporadically for the WWF from time to time. Um, did you have any, what was your relationship like? You know, once you go from seeing him every week to you're going to do your thing, he's doing his thing. Were you in, uh, what, what sort of communication did you have with him? None. Uh, not, not at all. I, uh, again, you know, I, I left the business cold Turkey and I, I kind of liked, uh, well, I, I guess you can say Shivani turned his back on everybody, uh, and walked away from it. But you know, I didn't, I didn't hear from a lot of people, you know, after that. So I know you're saying that a little tongue in cheek because of all the, the circumstances around Bobby Heenan, where Bobby Heenan was really critical of you right. uh, in public, uh, and shoot interviews in his book and things like that, where you. Uh, we're sort of just, uh, done. Right. Chat me up. Talk to me a little bit about this because I'm trying to see what similarities exist and what doesn't exist. Did you have any sort of conversation with Gene similar to the way you did with Bobby Heenan? And did you ever talk to Gene about the perceived heat with you and Bobby Heenan? No, not at all. Did not Gene Okerlund. And, uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm going to. Conrad, I really think, and I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think between 2001 when we went down, and uh, 20, or 2012 when I saw Gene, or 2014 when I saw Gene. Uh, I'm trying to think if Gene and I ever had one phone conversation, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think we did. I don't think we talked at all in those 13 years. It was just sort of see you when I see you. That's right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of, you know, people think when you say the word acquaintance, that that's a negative thing, but, um, you know, he he was a friend and an acquaintance in that whenever you saw him, you guys picked up right where you left off and it was a great time. But if you didn't see him again for a few years, that was okay. That really means he's probably more of an acquaintance, but you guys were friendly. Yeah. Well, you know, you, of course we were, uh, and, uh, there would be, I mean, I, we were the type of, but we worked in the business together and we went through a lot together. So I don't think there was any doubt that if we needed each other for anything, we would have, we certainly would have helped out each other. But uh, yeah, it was an acquaintance, but, uh, again, we, you know, we all shared a common, a common thread and that was the wrestling business. So it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, with flair and, um, uh, 
you know, we're, we have this common thread that's, that's bound us for life. It's kind of like me and you, right? Well, I mean, you and I, uh, you know, you text me main things every day. I text you main things back. So maybe uh, we're a little past acquaintance, but somebody that he was certainly acquainted with was, uh, Fifi, the French maid. Uh-huh. And, and there was an old pay-per-view where they were doing a battle bowl concept where they had almost like the lottery. And as they're spinning this wheel around and drawing the names, they have to come back to this segment many times. Uh, Gene was, uh, at his comedic best there, perhaps. Wouldn't you agree? Nothing like it. Nothing like it. When it was all said and done, Eric Bischoff was not at that pay-per-view and Eric was running the company and we were in Pensacola. This was the same, uh, event where Heenan did the gimmick. I've, I've talked about Heenan, Heenan doing the gimmick at the hotel in Pensacola the next morning where he got tied up in the, uh, in the buffer, uh, the, uh, the floor buffer when the guy was buffing the floor and he got all tied up in the, uh, extension cord, uh, the same, but anyway, so we, uh, after the event, we're in the bar and Eric, I don't know who Eric is talking to on the phone, but the uh, Eric says, let me talk to Tony. And Eric says, how was the show? I said, it was great. He said, what was the best part of it? Do you think I said it was Gene and Fifi? He said, what do you mean? I said, I can't explain it. You just got to see it. Thank you very much, uh, Tony Schiavone. You have your cross to bear working with Jesse the Body Ventura. My duty, I must say, a whole lot more pleasant. I'm going to be assisted by Fifi, who, of course, has been affiliated with the Nature Boy Ric Flair in the past. But, Fifi, it's going to be a little different tonight. You and I are going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Just a second there. Fifi, let's draw the first couple of names for this. Ta- let's roll this barrel one more time. The way these names come out is the way these guys head to the ring. So let's bring them around. You do the drawings, and I'll mention the names. Uh, oh, excuse me. Whoa. <laughs> are we on the air? Apparently we are. I... I'm just having a, a great time here. Fifi. Yes, <laughs> I believe that. Okay, let's draw a couple of more names. Fifi, what do you think? You're having fun so far? Oh, of course, monsieur, but please. Oh. <laughs> Give me a break. Good God, I can't believe it. He looks good enough to eat. I don't mind telling you. Gene. 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 Gene, you're on the air. Gene, you lecherous old fool. Don't, don't blow on it. That's just an expression. Oh, 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 oh wait a minute. Apparently, we're on the air. Let's get back to business here. Yeah, he's giving us oh. the business. Oh, my word. That's good enough. Let's see what we draw this time. Fifi and myself hard at work with this drum. Fifi, if we get any closer together here, we're going to have to check in someplace. All right. <laughs> Wait a second. All right. Uh, the name of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Excuse me there, sweetheart. <laughs> it gives a whole different meaning to the word being tied up. If you know what I mean. Hold on a second. <laughs> Apparently, we're back on the air. Uh, mean Gene back with Fifi. Yes, and I wonder if we could. Uh, uh, for some reason, I'm getting a little nervous here. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Fifi, I can't tell you how enjoyable this is. Oh, this is very interesting. Yeah, let's see. Uh, who do we have here? Fifi, if you just let me know. Just a. Oh, what was that, Fifi? What are you looking at? Uh, just uh, 
I saw something here reminded me of melons. I don't know what it was. Let's go see if we can figure something out here. That was basically it. I don't know because it was really kind of at moments, and I mentioned this earlier, it was kind of moments over the top risque for us. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I don't know if Gene's going to get any heat about this or not. Uh, and every time they would come back, he would be, you know, he had the mic kind of off to the side or something where you could hear him and he was hitting on her or saying, you know, uh, things to her. And of course she was the French maid. So she didn't necessarily understand what was going on. She did a good job of playing the part as well. So I, I remember thinking, wow, I don't know if we're going to get any heat about this or not. And I don't know if Gene did, but I didn't hear anything more about it, but it really was, I thought, because I thought battle bowl sucked anyway, I thought it was the best part of the show. The whole, all those ins and outs, Jesse and I pitching to Gene, Gene and Fifi, you know, drawing the names out, the wrestlers on these, uh, split screen, you know, getting ready to come out and do the matches. And I just thought it was good. And we also had, we had Okerlund talk to Vader, a pre-tape when they set up Vader and flair for Starcade, Uh, and that was a big deal as well. Well, I tell you, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot. There's nobody more closely associated with me and Gene in WCW than Ric Flair. Is that fair to say? Yes. Nobody. Uh, absolutely. Because Flair was our flagship as Hogan became and the WWE's flagship and who was with them. It was Gene Okerlund, but they were friends, not only as, uh, as, as well. You know, Tony, when people think about Mean Gene and WCW, the person that maybe is most closely associated with them, at least in fans' eyes, based on what I've seen on social media, is Ric Flair. It's sort of Hulk Hogan for the WWF, Ric Flair for WCW. And since you're Mr. WCW, I figure who better to get as maybe a little surprise run in, special guest, unannounced, to celebrate the life of Mean Gene than the champ? Tony Schiavone. What do you say? You sound bitch. I say, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, man. Your running mate is, is gone, <laughs> ma'am. Oh my God. Some, some great times. You're not kidding. Some you know, great times. you know, I, uh, I mentioned the fact that you called him Dr. Okerlund. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned the fact that there were, <laughs> <laughs> there were many times in the bar where he would, he would take those glasses you know, he called him the cheaters and he put them on the edge of his nose and he, yeah. would, he would tell a lady about, uh, uh, doing a, uh, 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 doing an exam on her or, or something like that. And he was just, <laughs> he was just fucking absolutely. It was, I like you to meet my friend, Dr. Okerlin here. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I couldn't help but say that he was so damn entertaining boy. So yeah. much fun. Yeah. Um, he just brought, um, so much entertainment, you know, he did, he didn't have to know a lot about what was going on in a particular match or the angle, but he, he, he just, you know, he felt the crowd. He, he, it just came natural to him and he, he fed off that, which, you know, made whatever interview he was involved in or whatever sequence or or scenario he was involved in better. He just had that. And, and that, that he, and that he carried that through his everyday life. He yeah. was that, he was that funny. 
Oh yeah, it was one of the funny one of the, one of the funniest guys ever. And, and I mentioned the fact that he was so entertaining, but he never took away from what you guys were saying. Even though he was entertaining, he enhanced that. So that's what I'm saying. He just it, it didn't. He he would throw in a comment. You know, I was looking at some of the old stuff last night, and he would say, "He'd go, oh no, the laundry folks. I'm sorry." Right. He's about to lose the laundry again. Uh, God, I've seen this so many times, but never on national TV. <laughs> I mean, he just he just went he just went with it. You know what I mean? And cause yeah. I never told him what I was going to do. Right. He just uh, he was the best. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to give you your due, Tony. I'm going to give you your due as well, Tony. I mean. And I always have to qualify this so nobody gets upset. Yeah. You know, you, you guys didn't, you guys weren't told what to say. Right. You went out there and you just talked and basically said what you felt. And that'd be my take on it. Unless I'm misinformed or I was around you guys a lot. Right. You know, you had an idea, you had a sketch. Um, now it's, um, I think the, the guys are, you know, under a lot of scrutiny, as is uh, the talent. You know, to sure. be yeah, told what to do, right? Well, not not just told what to do, but to bullet points, and um, the, you know, because there is so much that each you know the talent has to talk about, aside from promoting themselves, right? You know, but just right. you know the pay per view, the day, the event, the you know the history of it, or or whatever it might be. So. And you guys just went out there and, and you called it and, you know, you called what you saw because you were familiar with it. Uh, number one, number two, you enjoyed it. And number three, it's what you felt, which made it sound real. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Soli, Gordon Soli had the same knack. I mean, it just, uh, <clears throat> you know, you guys basically, if, if wrestler would admit to this, an announcer could make him break you. He yeah. really could. Yeah. The guy call the guy calling it, um, with, uh, because when you're in the ring and you're not, even, you have no idea what the announcer is saying. You're basically in the hands of the of the guy talking about you or the people. Yeah. So I mean, it's you know, it. I think it's easier to say nice things about people that are that are performing at a high level. But it's also your job to put people over there that have no talent. Exactly. You know, but now, yeah, well, we won't. We, I'm not going <laughs> to use any examples. I, you know what? I, that It means a lot that you would say that because I, st- I go. What's the truth? Well, and I go back to, you know, I go back to, to this. I, I say the same thing in, in a different way that the most memorable things that you did all with the, with a stick, with, was back in the old days in TBS in 19, you know, in the eighties, when you would yeah. go out, when you would go out, you knew what the angle was. They didn't tell you what to say. And you would go out there and freestyle for three or four minutes. And that's the, what people remember because they let Ric Flair, they let Gene Okerlund and they let Tony Schiavone do what they were paid to do. And that's bring what they had to the table. And those are the most yeah. things. Well, and also. Um, we had to sometimes, if you remember Tony, which I'm sure you do, uh, I had to talk about three different opponents. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I'd start out with Dusty Rhodes and flip over to Nikita. Right. And end up on Magnum. Or, right. You know, whatever, or Sting, you know what I mean? Or, or Depending or, on, where, on where we were going that week yeah. and, let them, and the matches. Right. And with, and with, the, with no sleep and uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, that's, that's tough to do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I could never find you on Friday night. <laughs> Lois. Lois had you her lock and key. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not going out with him. I don't care where. And <laughs> if you're taking a break in the afternoon, don't tell me where he's taking you. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that, place is, that place is still there. I drive by it on the way home from the airport all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, carved your initials. I think I carved your initials on the wall. Oh, thank <laughs> <laughs> in Chinese. <laughs> in the bathroom in Cicero. <laughs> you remember that too? Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember it some bit. <laughs> how, about my, how about Cheyenne, Wyoming? <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about there. This is. I, this told, is, you, I, I told you again that story, the Georgia game. Yeah. And he said, that's the best part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Tell me more, Dad. I said, I don't know what that fucker's talking about. He's got, I don't know. Jesus. Well, this is supposed to be, we're supposed to, hey, Conrad, would you intervene here? This is kind of broken down here. A yeah. bit. I feel like we're on the Ric Flair show again. So, uh, Rick, <laughs> we're, uh, we're celebrating, of course, me and Gene Okerlund. And I think most wrestling fans associate him with two wrestlers more than anybody else Hulk Hogan in the WWF and you in WCW. And most of that is because of the way you would introduce your promos with him and you would yell his yep. name and by God, the whole deal. How did that come about? Yep. And, and did he enjoy that? And how, tell us how that whole process happened. I, you know, I don't have an answer to it. I just got in the ring and said it one day. Um, and Hulk, of course, uh, let me tell you something, mean Gene. I mean, that's the way he started, um, his promos for years and, uh, you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, Hulk, Hulk, you know, just ran his interview off me and Gene. I, I used to love to, you know, like involve me and Gene. In it. I mean, or, does that make sense? And, uh, you know, I actually, if I look at it realistically, I was trying to entertain me and Gene or entertain Tony. Sure. When I was out there, if I'm entertaining a guy that has to do this for a living, you know, 300 days a year. It's hard to do, especially at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, for WCW. Uh, but with Gene, it was just, uh, he was just so much fun. And, and then of course, Gene and I, um, you know, I was telling a hundred the other day, uh, we contributed to each other's health issues just to survive WCW. <laughs> when, the, when the show was over, I don't think, I don't even think we checked in. He just walked right through the lobby into the bar. Right. Well, you know, Smith, Rick, it, 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 was, Smith, it was. Smith, too straight up dirty. Do you have blue cheese olives for the doctor here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know what? That's good look. It, it, it was. It was tough at times. It really was. And you, yeah, you, had, uh-huh. you had to develop friendships and you had to. You had, oh, to get, you had to go to the bars and medicate yourself to get, to get through some of the shit that was going on. 
Well, just to get through what we had just done. (laughs) 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 Prepare yourself for the next week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, Uh, the promo you were talking about where you, you stripped down to your boxers in the middle of your feud with Eric Bischoff in the middle of a Monday nitro. Mm -hmm. Did you give any sort of heads up to Gene? What was going to happen? Did he have an idea that was coming or (laughs) nothing? He had nothing. No, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I, I ran that idea by Eric. Uh, I just came up with it. I couldn't think. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, I knew it wasn't retired or anything like that, but I, there, I didn't know. He said, well, we'll have the match. I don't know what you think. And I said, and I actually thought about that. Um, but, um, I ran that by him. He said, yeah, let's see, but don't, you know, don't go too far with the clothes. Oh, I said, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I I remember thinking while that happened, and I didn't know it was going to happen. I remember thinking, oh, my God, they're going to see the Ric Flair that we all see. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Away from the arena. So. (laughs) I know, God. (laughs) (laughs) We all see. Thanks, (laughs) Tony. Here he is. They all fall out. I fall off the wagon one time and I'm labeled. <laughs> one of the things I wanted to, to bring up with you, Rick, before we let you go, cause I know you're traveling today is we've got, uh, a lot of feedback that a lot of people's favorite main gene memory in WCW was the Starcade 93 show where they came to your house yes. and then you guys rode to the arena and you're talking about your big match with Vader. And even mm-hmm. over the weekend, Cody told me that, you know, that's his fa- one of his favorite wrestling memories, that particular piece of business. And what Cody likes so much about it is he sort of believes that there wasn't a ton of scripting. You guys knew what story you were trying to tell and you took a cameraman with you and you just let it rip. Tell me about that Starcade 93 ride to the arena. Uh, well, you know, Dusty put that all together as usual, you know, Dusty was one step ahead of his time and, um, he wanted to make it an event and, uh, you know, Gene and I had been such good friends and, you know, the irony of it is now look at you're you're married to one of the lovely young girls in the picture. Um and uh look where Ashley is now. Yeah. Um which makes it even more relevant. But um yeah, we just um tried to make it look as real as possible. And uh it just it was what it just you know, it, it the reason it came across natural is it was natural. You know, I didn't know at that point I actually was, um, you know, I, I was actually thinking about going back to, uh, um, the WWE, WWF. I just, you know, I was, it, it was just, I was a feeling there, you know, it, what it is, there was nobody else to take that spot. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's one of those matches where I put my career on the line. How many of those did I have? You know what I mean? Right. It was just, God, what are we going to do? And I actually listened a little bit to your podcast uh, with Eric um, Conrad maybe a month ago. He was talking about um, the Sid thing with me and all that. That was one of those deals where Sid didn't let, didn't, wasn't feeling that. So. That made it a long night, but it was worth it. And you know, my another thing that uh, you know, Mika would pay. My mom, dad only saw me wrestle three times in my life. Wow! And they, so that was the you know, they saw me win it, 
didn't even know what that meant in Kansas City because it was such a blowing opportunity to have a big arena and a, a city that that were that was familiar. Like if we'd done that with Dusty and I in Charlotte, or if we'd done it in Tampa or Atlanta, you know. But for some reason, you know, Geiger was the president in NBA, and we had to have it in Kansas City of all places where they barely even knew Dusty and I. If they knew us, it was off the cable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you throw in loose ends. I mean, it was just, it was a debacle to begin with. And those are things that I've, I've you know, I've, 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 I have no, my, you know, Geigo, I look at him and I think, boy, the day they made him the president of NWA, the day it started to fall apart. You know, when, when Sam retired and they gave Geigo the reins and, you know, we started making it convenient for whatever anybody wanted to do. Whereas before you had to go right through Sam and it was an hour or it was nothing. Does that make sense? Then it started getting diluted, you know, with the Von Eriks and, and then once you start, it's hard to say no to somebody else. So Rick, do you, do you remember at the, at, I, the end, at the end of Starcade 93, <clears throat> Oakland was there with your family. You know, you had done that yeah. emotional ride with him, but at the end, <clears throat> at the end of the show, you're there with uh-huh. Oprah, and you really actually break down, and and you really you really start to cry because it was a it was a big moment for you, and uh, Oakland shared it with you and your family backstage. Yeah, well, what, what made it a big moment, you know, was uh, I don't remember if my mom and dad were on camera or not. I think it's the fact that my mom and dad and here's all the kids, and. Uh, uh-huh. You know, with my schedule being what it had been for so many years, I actually was, uh, you know, which I've said this before, so it's something I I looked forward to Eric firing me and getting mad at me and sending me home because I finally got to go home. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah. Because I never got to see the kids otherwise because I was traveling. And uh, uh, in the 80s, of course, Tony, you know the schedule. We were never home, you know? Right. Um, even Even... In your role, you were gone a hell of a lot more than you are now with what you're doing now, and you're still working, right. you know, two or three different jobs. But you weren't you're home at night. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, and you you were there basically to see all your kids grow up. That wasn't the case with the guys that wrestled in the '70s and '80s, and even into the '90s. I mean, when I first went to WWF. In the '90s, we were, you know, every day, 70, 80 days out on the road. Um, but at the same time, business was good; everything was sold out. So, uh, you know, you can't complain. Right. And I and I had me. I had so much fun. I was lucky. Every time I was there, I was fortunate enough to be around a bunch of guys like DiBiase, Henning, Bobby Heenan, Gene, and. Um, God, the list goes on. In Road Warriors, people I like to travel with and have people I have fun with. So, you know, after a while, it becomes a way of life. You don't look at, at the downside to it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But, but getting back to Gene, most certainly I couldn't wait to see Oakland at the TV. I just couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah. Gino waited in that. <laughs> I know. He'd he make you light up, wouldn't he? Oh God, I love it. Yeah, he he twirly in that mustache and say, "What have you got in the ring, Nate?" <laughs> and you go to the bar and you say, "Sweetheart, I'd like you to meet my friend, Doctor Okerlin." And he puts <laughs> yes, of on, course. 
Oh, my God. He put those specs on, and that made the bar just came to life. Uh, I know. It was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And just, you know, just having so much fun. You, you had to, I mean, yeah. so many people decompressed, and, and I'm not saying alcohol is healthy, but I'm not plugging alcohol as being healthy, but right. it's, it's much better for you as opposed to the other I ways uh, that we've all unfortunately seen our friends. Right, uh, passed by with, and that's um, and it's. I don't think there's anything wrong. My dad told me so many years ago: if you can find something to laugh about every day, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be good. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't sit there and dwell on the negative. So, oh no, even we though we knocked, we knocked everybody in the business while we were drinking. <laughs> crucified some people. Yes, we, yeah, we must. We, we were still everybody. laughing. <laughs> Oh, boy. Hey, that, you know that, hey, that blonde is still looking for you in St. Louis, you know, Tony. <laughs> okay, Rick. Well, I appreciate you being with us here on the, on uh, what happened when you know. <laughs> hey, I, I walked through the airport. Everybody says, "You know, Tony Shavani talks about you a lot on the show." <laughs> <laughs> really? Can't, can't imagine why. <laughs> why don't you guys announce that next week at a Tony Shavani show? Rick Flair is going to tell his best 10 best Shivani stories. Yes. <laughs> That's what the fans want. I love it. Hey, Rick, I know you, I know you yes. got to go. I know you got to go. I know you got to get oh, out of here. I do. I do. By all means. I don't got to get you guys. You guys ought to see Wendy right now. Oh, Tony. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, man, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to celebrate me and Gene. That's what today was all about. And, uh, uh, I'm sure I'll see Anytime, you soon. guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, the uh, the funeral's on Wednesday. It'll be a day we start crying again. But um, he was just simply the greatest. And uh, he's a guy, He, I can, you know, when you guys, you know, sit down at the end of the day, and I've, I'm very comfortable saying this, there'll never be another Gene Oakland. The voice, the, the, the finesse, and the his approach to life and his business. So we'll leave it at that. Okay, guys. Well said, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Okay, guys. Take care. Have a good day. All right, you too. All right. Happy birthday to your wife. <laughs> you mean your daughter? I mean, yeah, to your wife. Oh yeah. You know what's funny is uh, the other day I oh. told her I said you're no longer Ric Flair's daughter now. You're Conrad Thompson's wife. Okay. Happy birthday to my daughter and your wife. What'd you buy her? <laughs> Uh, she'll send you pictures. I'm sure. Huh? She'll send you some pictures. Well, at, at what time do you start buying the father-in-law stuff? <laughs> well, uh, you've never done the things for me that she's done. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, see you pop pop. God, you know, you know, you know, it's rough knowing that my, my daughter goes to bed with you at night. That's a lot to me to think about. <laughs> Oh, oh my, my God! Gosh, we're off the rails. I love it. Same yeah, travels, just, but that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot to digest as a father. <laughs> Goodbye. It's a lot for her to digest too. See, <laughs> but <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you for you forever will be in the eyes of me and Wendy, Mister Bahama Breeze. <laughs> and on that note, we gotta go. We are desperately out of time. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I didn't mean to steal your gimmick there. <laughs>
<laughs> We're getting off the rails there in a hurry, but what a way to finish our celebration of me and Gene Okerlund. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I, I would agree. And it is a celebration of Gene Okerlund. Uh, they'll never, there'll always be somebody that can do play by play. That will be a great play by play guy. that will be remembered, but there'll never be anybody as good as Gene Okerlund ever. He was, he was born in that role. And, and I even think, uh, there was a, an article that I read, I don't know if it was dead spin or what that said that he embodied professional wrestling. He was professional wrestling. He was exactly the man that you would want in that role. There will never be anybody like him. And I'm really going to miss him. And I'm, I'm, I feel bad that I did not connect with him enough, uh, in, in later part of life. Well, but. let's, let's make a, that one of your new year's resolutions, man. We're going to try to do better on that in 2019 and i hope that everybody listening does that you know because what you're saying right there is is a real life situation where a lot of us in our day-to-day lives just get caught up with what we're doing and we don't take a few minutes to reach out to other people who are an important part of our lives and, and catch up with them and just let them know what they mean to us and if we can all do better with that in 2019 the world will be a better place very well said conrad thank you buddy Thank you very much. Well, let's, um, you know, you normally throw us out of here with something sort of fun. Yep. Uh, you got anything off the top of your head we can do to, uh, send us off with uh, a little mean gene, a little nod to mean gene. Yeah. I think, uh, we ought to send them off with this because, uh, we are desperately out of time, but the memory of Gene Oakland never is. We'll see you next week on what happened when with Tony Schiavone. Promotional considerations for what happened when, paid for by the following. Halloween Havoc up and running, and still a whole lot of entertainment to come. By the way, speaking of sizzling, the WCW hotline is absolutely sizzling tonight on option one. I overheard the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, talking to a man that he used to represent at another wrestling federation. I can't talk about it on the air. I certainly won't talk about it here on Halloween Havoc. However... I will talk about it tonight, along with Mike Today and Mark Madden on the WCW Hotline at 1-900-909-9900. Folks, please, this is some very hot news. Give us a call, 1-900-909-9900. Speaking of hot news, Randy Savage, I know you Your are... Your mustache is crooked. Your beard is a little sideways, too, but I don't want to get into that. That's I'm not right. going to take personal pot shots at you or anybody else. That's not my nature. Get in line, everybody. I'm a little better guy than that. I don't mind telling you. Cool. I'm a bigger man. Cool. Well, how did we get into this? That's okay, man. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this past week, an extraordinary amount of money, Gitas, the long green, was offered to a superstar. Mark Madden will have complete details on that story tonight during his exclusive hotline report. Give the Madman a call from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at 1-900-909-9900 for all of the inside stories and for what's happening behind the scenes here at Starcade. Call the hotline right now. Take a look at that big uh, grin on your face. Sonny Odo, come on in. It's 2-zip right now. You obviously are delighted. The girls are